Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Affirmation, empowerment, positivity. That and so much more is the mission of Niasha Williams, my guest today. A kindergarten teacher and author, Niasha was inspired to write her first children's book when one of her students of color said that mermaids couldn't be black. What's the commotion in the ocean tells the story of a black mermaid who spreads a message of marine conservation. That was followed by I Affirm Me, the ABCs of inspiration for black kids. The picture book was inspired by the words Niasha and her students recited at the beginning of every day. I am confident and capable. I learn at my own pace. I am loved. I believe in me. I believe in us. A quote from Kirkus Reviews about the book. From Afros to Zen, this book serves messages of radical Black love and healing, determined, joyous, and necessary. The mission and goal for Niasha are, in her words, to combat the systems of white supremacy, colonization, and the patriarchy working towards decolonizing, liberating, and indigenizing our minds and world. Niasha grew up in South Africa and the United States and currently lives in Colorado, where she is joining us remotely today. So, Niasha, welcome and thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Sandy. I appreciate your time and energy this morning. So you were born in South Africa? So I was not born in South Africa. I was actually born in Aurora, Colorado, but I moved intermittently between South Africa and the United States for a good portion of my life. Why? So my dad um, was Habitat for Humanity for a really long time. Um, And my mom's an HIV doctor and researcher. So her job was very necessary in South Africa. So what was that like for you to go back and forth? And when did you start? How old were you when the, you first went back? So our first time moving to South Africa was when I was five years old. Um, it was challenging at times. I think schooling made it the most challenging, um, especially because the school years are not even the same between South Africa and the United States. Um, they have year-round school from January to December. And so I definitely had to repeat extra portions of school at times when I did the switches. Um, And the systems are just very different in regards to um, school and expectations and um, just the general operating systems within the school. Were you in Johannesburg? We were in Johannesburg the first time. Um, Other times we moved back, we lived in Centurion, um, which is kind of between Pretoria and Johannesburg. And so... Was that a difficult thing for you to do in terms of adaptability, uh, the back and forth, or it was just a very natural thing for you and your family? Um, I think that there were aspects that were hard, but there's also so much we gained by being in South Africa. Um, I really, there's things I miss now immensely. um, And I'm really happy I did go to high school there. I really, I went to Pretoria High School for Girls, and um, I really am grateful for that experience. I mean, it's, they're completely different roles, the States and South Africa. And so, you know, everything has its ups and downs, but um, I think that it's, you know, it added to our, it enriched us, I think, to be in both spaces and gave us different perspectives and things like that are very important. I wonder what that was like for you growing up in Aurora, Colorado, which tends to be a fairly white city, right? So I did not grow up in Aurora, Colorado. I was born there. Um, I am 
a transracial adoptee. And so my parents adopted me um, from Aurora, but I lived and grew up in Louisville when I lived in the States when I lived in Colorado. Did you ever locate your birth parents? Have you? Yes, actually, I am in maternal reunion uh, with my biological mom and her family. So we've been connecting, which has been great. Um, I don't know anything about my birth, a lot about my birth father or have not been in contact with him. But with my birth family, it's been really great. Um, Even my adoptive parents have been connecting with my biological grandma and um, her husband. And yeah, it's really been great to get to know and see cousins that look like me and just, you know, experience that world. It's been really um, welcoming and, and uh, affirming and powerful. I have to tell you, that's the first time I've ever heard this term, maternal reunion. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't know those two words went together. Yeah, I honestly have um, a lot of those terminologies and things have developed for me because Um, recently I have been connecting with adult adoptees, um, on the app clubhouse. There's a lot of adult adoptee communities and it's also growing on Instagram. And so it's been really nice to talk to other adults who've been adopted, especially transracial adoptees. Um, and that has just been really powerful and it's just a really unique community to be a part of, um, uh, just to talk through our experiences and, you know, kind of what we're walking through as adults now. Do you have siblings? I do. I have uh, five siblings, so we have six in total. Um, one boy, and the rest of us are all girls. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, power to us, but I mean, that must have been intense for him. <laughs> yes. Oh, and actually, on my biological side, I do have a half-brother as well. Is everybody scattered around? I have two siblings that live in Colorado as well. That's my brother and my youngest sister. I have a middle sister who lives in Indiana, um, and then I have a sister who lives in South Africa, and then one of our sisters who actually lives in South Africa, she's out here being an au pair in Colorado as well. You know, at some point, you know, children's books notwithstanding, I think you've got a familial story there, woman, that you can write about that would be really fascinating because it sounds extremely eclectic, your background and your upbringing. Yes, I've been told that before, that we definitely walked a unique walk. (laughs) (laughs) So you started out as a kindergarten teacher. That was basically your first job? So, yes, I, that was after I went to culinary school. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back here. You went to high school in South Africa, okay? And then where'd you go to college? I went to college at uh, William Jewell College in Liberty, Missouri. Um, so I was out in Missouri for four years and I completed my degree out there. Then I decided to take a gap year, went to Paris for a year and became an, a, a, an au pair in Paris for one year. After Paris, I decided to go to culinary school and I ended up going to South Africa for culinary school. So I went to Leaf Chef Academy in South Africa. Um, it was supposed to only be a year and a half program. I did have an injury. Um, I had a car accident and I lost a finger and a half. And so during culinary school, so that added a little bit of time to that time that it would have yeah. taken me to complete culinary school. Yeah. Um, and so after I was done with that, I um, wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And I heard the call for teaching. So I joined one of those alternative teaching programs where if you at least have a bachelor's, you can join a teaching program and there's an intensive summer training. 
Um, and so I did that with Baltimore Teachers Residency. I ended up in Baltimore, knew nothing about it. The only thing I knew about Baltimore was um, the movie Hearsay. That was the only reference I had to Baltimore City. So I moved there and I started teaching. Um, I did the intensive summer program and I taught in Baltimore for two years down in the south of Baltimore. Marie G. Faring uh, was the school. And I met my husband out there. And we then moved to Colorado. Um, and so I brought him out to Colorado. I did a year of teaching in Denver. And then I did a year of teaching in Aurora. Um, and that reaches us. My teaching in Aurora was the 2019 to 2020 school year. So when you were teaching kindergarten, did you have yeah. a classroom that was mixed race? Were your students mixed race? So there were definitely... Um, a variety of students in my classroom every year I taught. Um, some more diverse than others. Um, Baltimore was probably the most diverse. Um, and then my last year in Aurora was definitely pretty diverse as well. Mm-hmm. And so you never necessarily had designs on being an author, did you? Not at all. Um, honestly, I have friends who <laughs> they would laugh and joke on me about like how much I struggled, honestly, with writing in college. Um, just my papers, they would have to do a lot of editing for me. And so they, for me to be an author now, they said, oh my gosh, if you would have told us this in college, we never would have believed it. Right. right. <laughs> yes, um, this is where life has taken me. Um, I just saw a lack of representation in the classroom. And I was like, I'm not seeing my kids represented. I'm not seeing characters, even in media, who look like them or that are represented in a positive manner. And so that's kind of where I heard that first call and um, just started putting manuscripts together. But again, when you're teaching, you don't have a lot of free time. <laughs> so I didn't have a ton of time to work on it. But thankfully, now I'm walking fully in that uh, path. And so I am completely author, creator, activist now um, and working to create what I think was missing for me as a child and missing in the world. So when that student of yours came up and said, as I said in the introduction, that mermaids couldn't be black. That was obviously a huge trigger for you. Yes, it was really um, heartbreaking, but I think it just affirms the work that I'm doing, right? Um, To me, it was like, this is exactly why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's not where you were back then. So I had started writing that book. It wasn't completely out yet, but her were like when I told them my children what I was doing that I was working on this book this child said to me in my classroom was like well mermaids cannot be black um and that was just so devastating broke my heart and I was like of course mermaids can be black and it just yes lit a fire really on yes this is a necessary thing that needs to be out in the world and just honestly reaffirmed all the work that I need to do And was that just a real natural act for you to write that book? Did it just kind of pour out of you in a way? Yes. The first book, What's the Commotion in the Ocean, flowed so naturally for me. Um, It honestly just took a couple of days. I was just at night writing and I was like, does this sound good? I kept like turning to my husband, what do you think of this? How does this sound? Um, And he's been really supportive through my whole journey. And um, honestly, there's another children's book that I'm writing pretty soon that he conceptually had me, I formulated a children's book off of this idea that he brought up. So I'm really excited for that one to come out as well. After your book was published, did you assume that you will continue to marry both careers, being an author as well as being a teacher? I did definitely think that, Um, but I thought it would be more of a slow transition. I think 2020 kind of gave 
everyone uh, a whirlwind twist <laughs> and kind of say reevaluating, figuring out what's going on. And my, our, the school that I was working at Aurora did close in the 2020, the 2019, 2020 that year, it closed. And so I was like, all right, well, what's next? And I definitely thought I would go back into the classroom or do pods or continue teaching in some way. Um, and then ultimately I just continued authoring during that time, um, writing at least. And that's when I got in connection with my literary agents and things just kind of took off from there. And I kind of stepped into that role. Talk about um, the book, I Affirm Me, the ABCs of Inspiration for Black Kids. That seemingly was just something that you felt you were providing, in a way, a public service. That book didn't exist, did it, before you wrote it? That type of book. It's literally my love letter to Black kids because self-love, I think, is really hard for BIPOCs, um, especially when the world's telling you that you are not what the world wants. You're not of value. You don't matter. We get those messages daily. And so this, exactly. And so I know my self-love journey took a very long time. Only been in, you know, the last few years that I've really stepped into myself with self-love and like walked back into my power and my worth. And so this book was my hope that I can counteract those messages that come later on for kids. I hope that they read this book and these messages stick. And so when the negative talk does come or when the world tells their sides to try and tell them who they are and that they're not enough, I hope that they're able to fight back against um, those messages with these messages of love that came from this book. So that was something that could have helped you immensely growing up, your own book. What was it that was the most trying for you? Yeah, I mean... My parents are amazing and I've always been very blessed and I didn't really want for anything, but that doesn't mean that everything was available in there, if that makes sense. Um, While, yes, my parents tried to get every book that had Black characters into my home, (laughs) just the scarcity of it in general. And so, and there wasn't books like I Affirm Me, um, where you're promoting beautiful narratives for the Black community. I think a huge challenge for me is like my favorite books growing up were fantasy. I loved Harry Potter. I loved Pollyanna. I loved um, Pippi Longstocking. I loved all these uh, films that just were fun. Harry Potter, um, Artemis Fowl, all these like really fun stories. And none of the characters looked like me. None of the main characters looked like me. And so to me, that was hard growing up. And I think that's exactly what people are really hearing the call for right now is writing books with characters that look like them that they needed when they were younger. When you mentioned that you were part of a transracial family, what was it Mm -hmm. that your parents did for you in terms of preparing you for that world out there? So I've had conversations, obviously, about my, this with my parents, especially being an adult now. My parents expressed to me that they had talked to good friends of theirs um, and that were African-American during this time when they were adopting me. And they didn't ever tell me that my race would limit me. That was one thing that my parents were told not to do. um, And they decided to walk with that walk. They decided to allow me to believe I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I think that that, you know, definitely had its major there's a major positive aspect of that and then there's also like also a a slight lack of reality in some ways 
Um, I definitely didn't know what it was to be a black woman in America. I didn't know that during college, even when I was in Missouri, it wasn't until recently and especially dating a black man really had me step into understanding what that identity meant, what his identity meant and what that meant for us moving forward. And just me honoring that aspect and identity of, uh, and a part of myself, because even in South Africa, I feel like I hadn't, I'd embraced that in a different way because it's different there. It's different. Um, and I was still more qualified as an American than a black uh, person in South Africa in that way. I feel like that identity was highlighted more in South Africa, um, especially with my accent, et cetera. And then when I moved back to the States and I was in Baltimore teaching, that's kind of where I had to re-walk through and understand like, oh, my skin doesn't matter here. And it can affect how people interact with me, how people see me in the world, how people are going to engage with me um, and affect what people think I can do or can't do. I think that it was definitely easier to walk through as an adult. I think that it would have been a lot harder to walk through as a kid. But at the same time, I know a lot of parents are preparing their kids for what they may be up against in the world or the challenges they may face because um, of the systems and what's in place in our world currently. Um, I thank my parents definitely for encouraging me because I don't think I would have taken half the leaps and had half the confidence I did if they wouldn't have just allowed me to live my life and walk as I feel I should walk. Um, And then again, this, you know, it was, it was really hard at times because I realized that even in myself, like I continually have to challenge myself daily to be anti-racist, to, to decolonize myself and challenge colonized mindsets or things that I may have picked up from our system because we were born into it. We grow up that everybody's interacting and, um, working through those systems. And so, you know, I made some choices that, you know, were were felt harmful to my husband as a black man, not knowing it. I could have looked like a Karen if we want to use that terminology towards my husband because at times because I didn't know any better. I had an actor in a lot of white worlds and I hadn't I didn't understand my impact of what I was saying or what I was doing and how that it could affect my husband as a black man. So it's been a huge, huge learning curve for me. Wow. Um, a lot of growing. And I'm, I'm happy I'm on this side now. And I, I'm happy that, you know, I do this work. And I really every day try and think about what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And it's less about intent always. It's always about what is the true impact of what you're saying and doing. Do you always feel that you have to check yourself? Yes. And I think that that's, that's everybody. Um, but I definitely do think that, being raised in a white household, I had habits, you know, and I think I walked as though I was a white girl at times. I think I didn't realize and understand um, that I wasn't. And I think that that has carried out into my adult years. And so I've definitely had to do some of the same work that um, white individuals would have to do as allies in checking themselves. I think I'm in a different place now because I have done this work for a while now. But again, this is something that everyone consistently is going to have to do because our systems are catered and encourage um, behavior that is harmful to other communities, that is um, not seeing the whole picture, that is racist, really. Ultimately, a lot of our systems are racist and we need to actively fight back against them. So your husband turned out to be very instrumental in kind of exposing things that ironically 
you did not experience or that you might be unaware of, if I can put words in your mouth? A hundred percent. Him and I are like, we kind of joke that we're opposites, yin-yang kind of energy because he um, grew up a very different experience than I did and especially in Baltimore City. And so it's been really interesting for us to walk that walk. There were periods where I, for a huge portion of my life, I did not think I would marry a Black man. I, you know, had some internalized things um, from experiences that I had had, especially when I was in South Africa. And so I didn't, I had no idea that I would end up marrying a Black man. And I'm, my husband's (laughs) one of the sweetest men in the world. He's just honestly there's very few things that I can say that really sum up how amazing he is. But um, it definitely was a lot of unlearning for me (laughs) um, to get to this point. Um, A lot of unlearning and relearning and retraining my brain. I quoted from your book, this mantra of, I am confident, I am capable, I am loved, I believe in me, I believe in us. So in a way, did that come to you late in life? Yes. So maybe that book, was more, that book was more for you, huh? Oh, 100%. I think things mirror each other like that. And I think that this book was definitely, I mean, it's the words are words that I needed and words I need now, you know, um, even adults. I think there's a lot of adults, uh, BIPS adults that like are still looking for that confidence and walking in their power and knowing their worth and um, just reclaiming who they are and their identity. And I, I think, again, I, for me, as much as it's for kids, it's for so much more than that and so beyond that. You know, again, not to keep harping on this, but I can't imagine that, again, confusing being in a transracial household. You know, on the one hand, feeling empowered, maybe within the confines of your home and then not so outside. Yeah, I think I definitely felt that way when we were living in whiter spaces in Colorado, for example, it was a little different in South Africa. I definitely didn't feel that same way, but yes, because in your home, in my home, I was like, you know, always, you know, like always reminded of my worth and just our house was so full of love. And my parents just really wanted me to follow any passion or curiosity that came my way. My parents have always encouraged that. And so I really have Um, walked and just kind of gone wherever I thought the universe was calling me. But when it comes to interacting in the world, I definitely felt different and I wasn't proud to be Black. It wasn't an identity I felt proud to claim, really. Uh, mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I'm very different now, but it was something that when you see everyone else who, you know, looks different than you and especially when I was in Colorado when everyone looks different than you and um, they all look the same or similar, like they're all white. And I mean, I was one of six black kids with my brother in our elementary school. And just walking that walk was hard. You stand out and people have all these assumptions about you because of the color of your skin. And it's definitely was challenging in being confident in those spaces for sure. There were a lot of roads you had to hoe. So you're in a transracial family, um, mm-hmm. you're moving back and forth to South Africa. You deal with the fact that you did not know your biological parents and subsequently mm-hmm. met, you know, not for nothing, Niasha, maybe there's an autobiography in here, <laughs> but, but I, I can't imagine 
what that was like in terms of negotiating, traveling down all these different roads? It's been a journey. So my brother and I were both adopted from Aurora, Colorado, but then a lot my other siblings um, were all adopted when we were in South Africa. So that's also a different a different dynamic that is another part of our household that has always been interesting. And um, yeah, we're all walking our different walks um, in regards to, you know, our biological families and what that looks like. Was there any bitterness towards your biological parents? On your Not part? at all. Mm-hmm. No. It feels like an addition for me because I feel like I've been blessed my whole life. And um, I definitely have been, um, I've had everything I've needed. And I, I don't know, especially getting married, I had additional family that I walked into as well. So to find my birth mom, you know, when I was like, and I found her after I left Baltimore and she's located in Baltimore. Um, and I found, her after, <laughs> I found her after I moved from Baltimore, we moved back moved to Denver. I, um, you know, it was overwhelming and it's been great, but it was also one of those uh, situations where I, it's honestly just more, more love, like more family and just, it, it feels like just an addition as well. I'm listening to all your non-bitterness and non-anger, <laughs> that, this acceptance and also this empowerment that you have from all of this. Are you still the teacher? I am not teaching anymore. Um, so I'm just writing and creating um, and I'm really enjoying doing that. It feels really natural for me. It feels like the walk I'm supposed to walk right now. So I'm really stepping into that and enjoying that. Is that is your focus still children? So I definitely started in children and I will have quite a few children's books coming out next year in 2022. But I had a very interesting spiritual walk that happened for me in 2020. Um, and so I'm in connection with my ancestors now. And part of that walk is me designing my tarot deck. So I also have a tarot deck that's coming out in 2022. Um, and that's been really um, an exciting and um, affirming, again, walk that I've been walking. Um, and I also am working on a bunch of other projects that will not just be children's, that will be, I'm looking at graphic novel, cookbooks, and other things that I'm trying to work on. Because I, I don't know, I hear the call for a lot of things and I kind of just allow myself to create whatever I hear the call for. How's this for an obnoxious pun? You're just an open book, huh? <laughs> I had the the pleasure of interviewing two uh, children's book authors. One of them, Anastasia Higginbotham. I don't know if you know who she is, but um, one of her, her, well, one book is called Death is Stupid and Divorce mm. is the Worst. And just, you know, owning for children what they kind of go through with these seminal events in their lives and how, you know, in in the Death is Stupid book, a little boy's grandmother dies and he is asking his parent, you know, where's grandma? And the response to him Mm -hmm. is he's taking a nap. Well, grandma's just not going to wake up from that nap. And we tend to really sell our little ones short and be very dismissive of what they need to know and to respect that it's important to tell the truth, not maybe in the starkest of terms, but to, you know, to empower them. Yes. And I think that again, plays into kids understanding the world and what's happening in the world right now. Right. That links right into that of like, I mean, I think we always doubt what kids can do. And I, I felt that in my classroom every year, I always tried 
to make sure my kids are really understanding true experiences of especially historical experiences um i definitely believe kids can understand and do better than past generations and i think that's this is why we teach them these things so that we can be better than the next than the past generation i know that there's a huge pushback for example around critical race theory and you know right. everyone has the curriculum opinions. being taught in school you mean yes and in my classroom my kids and it didn't matter uh, what race the parents were, what race the kids were, the parents were always really supportive and really encouraging me to teach their kids as much as possible to make them better humans. That was my job in the classroom. And so in that, I always tried to make sure they understood where there were injustices in the world and what we can do about it. Because how are we going to make a better world if the kids don't understand? And so my goal always is to have our kids understand the systems, understand what's going on, understand um, where we have made mistakes in the past. And yes, you know, it can be hard to learn that some of your ancestors didn't make the best choices, but this is when we stop now and we pause and we say, okay, well, what are we going to do to fix this and make this better? What are we going to do so this doesn't repeat? What are we going to do that we are building a better world for the future? And that's always the question in my classroom. So connect that to the whole Black Lives Matter movement and what we've been going through this last year, racially, politically, socially. How do you capitalize on that for younger children? I spoke at a one of the protests. We had one out here in Broomfield and I spoke. And it was really just really affirming because I live in a very white community and it was really affirming for all of those neighbors and community members to be in the space. It was really affirming for, those, for their kids to be in those spaces. And for them to be like that, you are a part of history right now. You're you're part of something that we believe in. We don't want this to continue what has happened. We want to acknowledge what has happened in the past. That was a huge issue for America is that they did not want to, like, and still now is acknowledging historically what has happened, how we've gotten to this point. And that's what really needs to be addressed. But we also want to address it. And we need to teach the truth so that we make sure we don't make these same mistakes. And we do better as we move forward. So what irons do you have in the fire right now? What is it that you feel that you can share? Yeah. So like I said, I have quite a few children's books that will be coming out next year. All on the same topic? All about being a better person and being honoring people as they are and making sure that you are taking action towards assuring the world's a better place for future generations. I am working on a course for people who are interested in decolonizing, liberating and indigenizing themselves. So that is something that I'm also working to shape. I think that looks different for different communities, each community, I think um, BIPOCs and even dividing up BIPOCs that looks differently for BIPOCs. And I think that looks different, different for what, for white people or allies, but I do think it's necessary work. And so I am working on creating a course towards helping people in that way. Are you optimistic? Definitely. I feel like little things, like it's the little things for me, like just watching TV. I don't, I've never had cable or anything, but what I do go to people's houses who have cable and seeing the commercials and just the diversity in the commercials compared to when I was a kid is just your heart. Um, you're just like, wow, like this, it, you just feel seen, honestly. Um, I think about it in 
the I, I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Jingle Jangle. The movie that was the movie I needed when I was a kid. The Christmas movie. I don't think I've ever seen. I love Christmas movies, and I don't think I've ever seen one that was really focused on a black family or black individuals. And so that was really powerful and affirming as well. So just as the world the world is changing, and I think it's going to take time. It's not easy. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do to unlearn and decolonize, but there are magical and really beautiful things happening in the world. People are, you know, there's a lot of people who want change, who want America to do better and want, we want better for the future. And I, I just see a lot of people walking that walk and hearing the call that of what they're supposed to do here on the planet and a lot of beautiful creativity to change our world for future generations and become an anti-racist world. Okay, so uh, I vote for you. Are you running for public office? <laughs> I don't live in Colorado, but uh, I can get an absentee ballot. Did you ever? Did that ever enter your mind? I have not thought of walking that walk at all. <laughs> but to me, it always links back to the kids. Anybody who's in line with the children and our children being okay. Like when we want to know if our society is okay, look at the children. Ask the children, how are the kids, right? That is always the question because that's, I think, the best way to analyze the health of a situation or a space or a country. Well, and so when the kids are okay, then we know we are okay. Well, as has been quoted many, many times, one of my favorite expressions is the child is the father of the man. So there's definitely a lot to learn from those little guys and gals. Well, Niasha Williams, really, thanks so much for sharing your passion and your life. <laughs> you really, I, there were a lot of surprises here. I had no idea <laughs> a lot about your background. And seriously, you ought to think about, you know, putting those thoughts down on paper about who you are and what you were exposed to and what your life was like growing up, including what your husband had to sort of educate you about as well. I mean, that, that in yeah. and of itself is fascinating. It's been an interesting walk, and I thank you for giving me the space and the time to share my story. It's been lovely spending time with you. Well, I extend an invitation. Any new stuff going on in your life, you give us a heads up. There's always time and room for a part two, okay? Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> my pleasure. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. <laughs>